0: appreciate the presence of each one this evening. Uh, I know we do have some visiting with us. We're especially glad that you're here. I know we do have some college students who have gone away to begin school this, uh, this semester. And we got at least one I know that's about to leave to go off to college uh, this week. And so appreciate Brother Fred mentioning that in his prayer. And uh, just continue to remember these young men and women who are away from home and uh, Pray that they'll be safe, that they'll uh, stand fast, they'll be faithful Christians, that they'll be a good influence to the people around them. And so I appreciate that, Brother Fred, uh, this evening. Turn, if you will, this evening to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of those little prophets toward the end of the Old Testament. I believe it's the ninth ma- uh, minor prophet, which makes it just a few books before Matthew. And so you have a little trouble finding Zephaniah, if you can find Matthew, just turn back about three books and it'll be there, Zephaniah. It's just three, three chapters long, but really does have a powerful message for us even today. The prophet Zephaniah tells us that he lived and worked during the days of Josiah the king, the king of Judah. Uh, And that puts him between the years 641 and 609 B.C. You might remember from previous study that Josiah was a good good king in Judah, really accomplished a great deal of good during his reign, instituted a number of reforms during that time. And I guess it's very possible that Zephaniah, living during that time, encouraged Josiah along those lines to institute those reforms and to establish uh, a, a, a more godly way of living in Judah during that time. You can find out about Josiah's reign in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. So Zephaniah again lived between that time 640 and 601 or 609 BC. That's 2500 years ago. Just think about that. Our our country's about 200 years old, a little bit more than that now and and we think about Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and people like that living a long time ago. Zephaniah lived about 2,500 years ago. And so somebody might wonder what a Jewish man living in the ancient Near East in the 7th century BC could possibly say to somebody, an American living in the 21st century. So think about that. Here's a Jewish man, ancient Near East no less, 7th century BC. I'm a 21st century person living in America. 2,500 years later, how could he po- what could he possibly say that would be relevant to my life? Well, if we'll look at the book, we'll see this very powerful lesson indeed. And so let's go to the book of Zephaniah uh, this, this evening. It's a book that begins with a very strong statement of judgment, very strong statement of judgment I think outstanding in that way. There are other uh, statements of, of judgment and destruction in the prophets. But when we begin to read Zephaniah, his seems to me at least to be outstanding in that regard. Just exceptionally harsh statement of God's judgment. But it ends up with a great statement of hope for the people of God. The subjects of Zephaniah's preaching were Judah and Jerusalem primarily. Now he talks about other nations like other prophets do. So he talks about Assyria, for example, and he talks about uh, the Philistines, for example, and Moab. But his focus is on Judah and Jerusalem. In fact, he mentions Jerusalem, I think, by name four times. He even shows some familiarity with the various sections within the city of Jerusalem. He mentions the fish gate and the second quarter and the hills and the mortar as well. Indeed, really his scope includes all the world, and we'll see that as we go through. And so he's focused on Judah and Jerusalem, but his prophecy also concerns the surrounding nations. In fact, the entire world, all of the earth, really come under the side of Zephaniah. And we'll see that as we go through. Somebody has remarked, in light of all this, it's safe to say that although Israel was exclusively God's people... God was not exclusive to Israel. And so He's the God of all the world. He's the God of all nations. Of course, He and Israel have a special relationship. But the preaching that regards the nations around Israel suggests to us that God is as much interested in them as He is in His people. What Zephaniah has to say in a nutshell is this. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. You see that in verse 7, for example, of chapter 1. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. And see it again in verse 14 of the same chapter. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. It is the warrior. uh, In it the warrior cries out bitterly. The day of the Lord is coming. We're going to divide the lesson up into two parts talking the first part about what Zephaniah and other prophets have to say about the day of the Lord, and then we'll go on into the second part of the lesson as well. And so the day of the Lord is coming. Sometimes it simply refers to the coming of the Lord, or the day of the Lord's wrath, or that day, or that time. But all of those phrases really point to the same future event. The day of the Lord is, is coming. It is a as we say sometimes, a major motif in the prophetic literature. It's just a major theme of the prophets. They talk about the day of the Lord over and over and over again, very frequently repeated. And so we find references to the day of the Lord in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zechariah, Malachi, and Zephaniah. It may be that the background of this, it is such an important idea and concept and so often repeated. It may be that the background of this idea is found all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And so go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, we'll pick up in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with strange gods of the land, into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, is not it because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is talking about a day that's coming, that that day is coming, when the Lord will come in judgment and He will come in vengeance and destruction upon His people who have turned away from Him to other gods. See a similar passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution in due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. And so again, a reference to that day, now, not a twenty-four-hour period, but a period of time. That time is coming, or that day is coming when these people who have no understanding, or they don't understand me, they've turned to other gods, are going to be are going to be judged. And so that's the background of the day of the Lord. It's found in other prophets. Look at the book of Isaiah, for example, Isaiah chapter 2. Now, when I think of Isaiah chapter 2, I think of that first part of chapter 2, which talks about the establishment of the Lord's house above all the the mountains. But if you go a little bit further into Isaiah chapter 2, you'll find references to the coming of God, His day when He comes in judgment. Verse 12. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, the pride of man will be humbled, the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And so the Lord is going to have his day. And He's going to bring judgment and vengeance and destruction upon every proud and lofty thing, everything that exalts itself against Him. He's going to bring it down in that day. Verse 20, In that day men will cast away to the moles and to the bats their idols of silver, their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship. And so everything that's lofty, everything that is opposed to God is going to be brought low in that day. That is, in the day of the Lord. Now Isaiah is an 8th century prophet. Another 8th century prophet is Amos. Look at Amos chapter 5 and verse 20. We'll see, again, a reference to the day of the Lord. Verse 18 says, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? And so here are references to the day of the Lord. We see it all the way back in Deuteronomy, and we see it in these 8th century prophets, and then we see it in Zephaniah, a 7th century prophet as well. And the fullest description of the day of the Lord is found in this book, that is, the book of Zephaniah. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated His guests. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. I'll punish on that day those who leap on the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills, Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish them, men who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good or evil. And so here's this just long description of the day of the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Before the decree takes effect, that day passes like chaff. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out His ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you'll be hidden from the day of the Lord's anger. And then finally in chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather the nations, assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. And so again, major idea in the prophets from Deuteronomy to Isaiah to Amos, now to Zephaniah and many other prophets refer to the day of the Lord as well. What's the purpose of the day of the Lord? Well, I'm suggesting there are three purposes for the day of the Lord. As you've picked up from our readings, the Lord will come on that day in judgment against those who rebel against Him and those who oppose His people. And so the Lord is going to come in judgment against those who rebel against Him, against those who oppose Him, those who oppose Him. His people and so the Lord's coming in judgment against the foreign nations like Egypt and Babylon and Assyria, and those neighboring countries that come against God's people. But even from within the people themselves, those who oppose the Lord, those who turn away from Him and forsake Him, they're going to suffer under the day of the Lord also. It's going to be a day of vindication and salvation for His faithful people. And so it's sort of a two-pronged effect there's the day of judgment, there's the day of destruction on those who oppose the Lord and rebel against Him but there is a day of salvation and vindication and deliverance for God's people. And then there's a third purpose as well and that is the opportunity for those willing to receive the discipline of the Lord to purify themselves. And so here I am and I'm an Israelite, I'm living in Jerusalem, I hear Zephaniah preaching And I think, yeah, the the day of the Lord, that's that's serious business. I better get ready for it. And so it provides me with an opportunity to prepare for the coming day of the Lord so that I don't suffer, suffer God's judgment, but I'm one of those people that are delivered and saved in that day. And so it's a day of preparation for the coming judgment of God who's going to be affected by the day of the Lord. Well, we've suggested the idolatrous nations. If you look at chapter 2 of Zephaniah, you can see really beginning in verse 4 and going down through most of the chapter, various nations are mentioned. The Philistines, the Carathites, Moab, Ammon, Ethiopia, Syria. Other prophets identify uh, nations like Assyria and Egypt and Ethiopia and Babylon and Edom and Tyre. Zephaniah extends his scope to include all the world. Look at chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Here's, if you want a strong statement of the coming judgment of God, listen to this. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'm going to destroy everything, (laughs) man, beast, bird, everything, when I come on that day, when I come in judgment against the world. But Israel and Judah are especially the objects of God's judgment. Again, Zephaniah emphasizes Jerusalem. We saw that in verse 4. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We even saw a little bit later in in chapter 1 where he mentions various sections of the city, the second quarter, the hills, the mortar, the fish gate and so forth. And so Jerusalem especially is the object of God's judgment and the day of the Lord. And so even though God is judging all the nations, Judah and Jerusalem are highlighted. To borrow the words of Peter we might say Zephaniah's message is it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Judgment is coming, and it's going to begin right there in Jerusalem. <laughs> so it's, judgment is coming, and it's going to begin at the house of God. The fourth question is, or the fourth point, what's the nature of the day of the Lord? Well, of course, it's a day of destruction. We've seen that. It's very clear, again, very strong statements throughout the book of Uh, Zephaniah, look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the uh, high corner towers. I will bring distress on men. So that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured. (laughs) That's, That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? And so it's going to be a day of destruction. And he gives the reasons why. Why is God coming so strongly and such judgment and destruction upon his own people. Why? Why would he do that? Well, just notice these reasons. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, they've tolerated a remnant of Baal among them. So remember, God tells Israel, go in, drive all these idolatrous people out. Well, Jerusalem and Zephaniah, there's a a remnant of Baal right over there. And they tolerate it. And so for that reason, God comes in judgment against them. They dress like foreigners, chapter 1 and verse 8. And so they don't dress like Jews should should dress. They dress like the pagan people around them. And so that's an indication of where their heart is and where their mind is, where their sympathies are. There is violence and deceit in the people, chapter 1 and verse 9. They are stagnant in spirit, chapter 1 and verse 12. They think the Lord will not act. Did you notice that a moment ago? Here these people are rebelling against the Lord, and they think the Lord will not do good or evil. The Lord's not going to do anything about this. We do pretty much what we want to, and the Lord's not going to react to this. They are rebellious, chapter 3 and verse 1. They've done violence to the law, chapter 3 and verse 4. Their leaders have failed. Chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Their princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing to the morning. Her prophets are reckless and treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They've done violence to the law. So princes, judges, prophets, priests, the leaders are corrupt and have failed. Chapter 2, they have no shame. Chapter 2 and verse 1. They become like the nations around them. And so from what Zephaniah has to say, it seems like very little difference between Jerusalem and the Jews that are living in Jerusalem at that time and the nations around them. It reminded me of Second, Second Kings chapter 17 and, and verse 8 where the writer is talking about why Israel fell, why they were defeated, why they were taken into captivity. And in verse 8 he says... They walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. And so they walked in the customs of the nations. They they lived like the nations around them. Verse 10, they set for themselves sacred pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And they burned incense in all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away into exile before them. And so they're not maintaining their distinctive holiness, which is what God intended for them to do. You shall be holy for I am holy. That required them to be different from the nations around them. But instead, they walked in the customs of the nations. They behaved like the nations. They worship the gods of the nations. And so God brought judgment upon them. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 11, Jeremiah says, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Israel's better than Judah. (laughs) Israel fell, but you'd think Judah would pay attention and make some corrections, but they don't. They, They do worse. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, but it's also a day of vindication and salvation. Go back to Zephaniah chapter 3 and look at verse 12. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. They will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away His judgments against you, has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you will fear disaster no more. Verse 19, Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord." What's the nature of the day of the Lord? It's a day of destruction, a day of vengeance, a day of judgment. But on the other hand, for the people of God, those who are faithful to Him, a day of deliverance, a day of salvation, the introduction of a new era for God's people. There are new new times, a new era, new living conditions in which righteousness and blessing prevail, where there is justice and joy, where the Lord Lord reigns and people rejoice. And so it's a time of purification. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, For then I will give the people's purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. It's a day of purification. For those who heed the warning before the day comes, they're told to seek these things. And so it's a day of purification for those who heed heed the warning. Those who are wise... And prepare for that day. What do they need to do to prepare for that day? Well, they need to seek the Lord. This is in chapter two, Zephaniah chapter two, and verse three. Seek the Lord. All you who humble, all you humble of, of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And so they're told to seek the Lord. What, what should you do in light of the coming day of the Lord? Seek the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. <laughs> so, makes sense, doesn't it? Seek the Lord. It's the day of the Lord's wrath. They were in danger because they had forsaken the Lord. Chapter 1 and verse 6. They had turned from Him to other gods. And so their only hope was to seek the Lord. They were to seek Righteousness. That is, they were to pursue the things the Lord considers right. All right? And so you pursue what the Lord thinks is right, what the Lord considers right. That's that's what is righteous in the Lord's sight. And so seek His will, His righteousness. And they were to seek humility. Chapter 3 and verse 12, we read that a moment ago, says, I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. Contrast the proud in verse 11 of chapter 3. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me, for I will remove them from your midst, your proud, exulting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. And so humble yourself, and perhaps the Lord will hide you in that day, the day when He comes against the Lord. Pride, arrogance, haughtiness is continually denounced in the prophets and humility is highly prized uh, as they recognize their need for God. What happens is, the proud forget God, and so they're, we're proud, we're arrogant, we're self-sufficient. Why, why do I need God? i've got everything I need right here, you know The humble, oh, I need God, I 'm nothing without God. I can do nothing without God. And so God resists the proud, but he receives the humble. So the day of the Lord can be a time of purification. Zephaniah calls upon them to take necessary steps to purify themselves before that day comes. Now the danger with the day of the Lord, the the danger is if a person thinks he's prepared and he's not. Now that's the danger uh, for a person in light of the coming day of the Lord. Look, for example, at Amos chapter 5 and verse 18. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. So here are some people, they think, yeah, let that day of the Lord come on. I'm ready for it, when really they're not ready at all. And so it's going to be just a complete devastation for them, just a total disaster. And so here, here's information from the prophets about the day of the Lord. It's useful information, understanding what the message of Zephaniah is. This is the first part of our lesson, study of the day of the Lord. Now, the second part of the lesson is this. The day of the Lord is coming. (laughs) What's the same message? Zephaniah is preaching to the people of his day. The day of the Lord is coming. The wise man will get ready for it. He'll purify himself and he'll get ready for it, cause it's coming, like it or not, ready or not. Here it comes, and that's the message for us today: the day of the Lord is coming, and if we are wise, we will prepare for it. You know, just as it was a major theme in the Old Testament among the prophets, it's a major theme in the New Testament as well. You may have thought already of several passages in which there are references made to the day of the Lord. Second Peter chapter three is one that comes pretty quickly to mind. Verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? The day of the Lord's coming. Just like Zephaniah announced it to the people of his day, Peter is announcing it to us as well. Paul speaks about the day of the Lord. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While men are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. You're sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. So then, let's not sleep as others do, but let's be alert and be sober. The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming like a thief. When people are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now we're not in the dark about these things. We're in the light. And so let's be prepared. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 Paul says that the Lord will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a reference to the day of the Lord in the book of 2 Timothy as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. In the future there is laid up for me The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. On that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The day of the Lord is coming. Jesus talks about the day of the Lord as well. So Peter talks about the day of the Lord. Paul talks about the day of the Lord. Jesus talks about the day of the Lord. Matthew 7 verse 21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness. The day of the Lord is coming. Jesus talks about it. Uh, Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Others as well. What's the purpose of the coming day of the Lord? Same thing, same as the purpose of the day of the Lord in Zephaniah's day. Destruction and judgment upon those who oppose the Lord. But deliverance and salvation for those who are prepared. And so we ought to take measures now before that day of the Lord to be prepared. Who's going to be affected by the coming day of the Lord? All people, all people will. That's a little bit different from Zephaniah's day, isn't it? Zephaniah's day, destruction upon Judah and Jerusalem, that's especially highlighted in Zephaniah. But we've also seen that God's judgment is against the Philistines and the Assyrians and the Ethiopians, for example. And so their coming day of the Lord arrived. But, but the one that Peter talks about in the day of the Lord of the New Testament that Paul talks about and Jesus talks about, all people, all of us, are going to be affected by it. And what's the nature of this coming day of the Lord? Destruction for those who are unprepared. Salvation for those who are prepared. So what should we do in light of the coming day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is coming. So what should we do to prepare for that day? Well, we need to seek the Lord. Just draw from Zephaniah's message what we need to do. We need to seek the Lord. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 53? Or rather, Isaiah... uh, Not 53, 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. While you have opportunity, seek the Lord and you will be hidden in the day of the Lord. The Lord will have compassion on you. Isaiah 45 and verse 22, God says, Turn to me and be saved. Amos chapter 5 and verse 6, Seek the Lord that you may live. I like what said back in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 8. What did I say? I meant 1 Chronicles. I'm not sure what I said. But 1 Chronicles 16 verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. And then verse 35. Then say, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The Jews in Zephaniah's time became distracted by the world around them. They lived among idolaters and they began to adopt the idolatry of the nations around them. began to dress like the nations around them and worship like the nations around them and live like the nations around them. Are we any less vulnerable to the world around us, to the influence of the world around Of course not. You know. We live in the world and we're under the influence of the world to talk like the world and behave like the world and dress like the world and worship like the world. And so we're every bit as vulnerable as the world is. We can become involved in the pursuit of the world and what it offers. And so we must seek the Lord. Now that requires some effort, doesn't it? To seek—that's that's an active idea, isn't it? You seek the Lord. You know, if I lose my keys around the house and I'm searching for them or I'm seeking for them, I'm not sitting on the couch watching TV. You know, I'm up. I'm busy. I'm looking for. I'm looking for what I've lost. And so, seeking the Lord requires efforts. Can you think of anybody in the New Testament? We'll limit it to the New Testament. Can you think of anybody in the New Testament that would fit this? Well, give me some examples of people who sought the Lord. Here's some that I thought of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was seeking the Lord. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he's seeking the Lord. He's riding along in the chariot, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, he's not looking at the scenery around him. He's he's seeking the Lord, he's putting in the effort. The Bereans, more noble than those at Thessalonica, they're searching the Scriptures daily. They're seeking the Lord. In Acts chapter 13, when Paul goes to the city of Antioch in Pisidia, and he goes to the synagogue, and he's rejected by the Jews, he says, we're we're going to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They're seeking the Lord. These are Gentiles at the synagogue. Why are they? They're seeking the Lord. And when Paul says, you you Jews rejected, we're going over here to the Gentiles, they're, they're, they're thrilled. They're seeking the Lord. And so we need to prepare for the day of the Lord by seeking Him. We need to seek righteousness. How do we define what righteousness was? It's doing the things that God considers to be right. And so we need to learn and do the things that God considers to be right. Jesus says it this way. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Are that's seeking righteousness. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Where do we find what the Lord considers to be right? Well, we find it in His Word, don't we? Several statements in the 119th Psalm to that effect. Psalm 119, verse 123. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Verse 138. You have commanded your statutes in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. Verse 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Verse 172, Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. What does the Lord consider right? What does the Lord consider righteous when it comes to telling the truth or lying? What does He consider right? What's telling the truth, isn't it? And so if we're seeking righteousness, if we're seeking to do what God would have us to do, when we're tempted to lie, no, we tell the truth. What would the Lord consider right or righteousness in the matter of forgiveness or being angry or appropriate speech or self-control or purity or marital fidelity, carousing, showing compassion, kindness, patience. And so we're to pursue or seek righteousness in all these areas, in all these ways. Seek right. That's how we prepare for the coming day of the Lord, and that's coming. The wise will prepare for it, and then to seek humility as well is the third thing that Zephaniah highlights. As we studied this morning, Brother Allen did a great job this morning highlighting this idea. Consistently through the Bible, God opposes the proud and resists the. Uh, he, he opposes the proud and receives the humble. James four and verse six, and First Peter five and verse five. Why is that? Well, the proud resist and reject the authority of God. The humble willingly surrender themselves to God's authority, which, by the way, I thought is not a bad definition for humility, is it? Those who surrender themselves to God's authority. That's a pretty good definition for humility in this this context. Jesus shows us the way. Talked about that this morning. I won't repeat all that. But Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says... Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls. And so prepare for the coming day of the Lord by humbling yourself, acknowledging your own weakness, and following God's lead. If we do these things, well then, we'll be hidden in the day of the Lord. Look at chapter 3 of Zephaniah and verse 17 especially. Those who are prepared for the day of the Lord, this is what God says to them The Lord God is in your midst, a victorious warrior, or a warrior who saves. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, or ESV says, He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with shout of joy. I thought, that's a pretty good verse to remember. not only for this lesson but just carry with you through life. The Lord God is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will quiet you by His love. You're all upset, you're anxious, you're stressed out. Remember that. He will quiet you by His love and He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And that's the situation reserved for those who have prepared nothing to fear from the coming day of the Lord." There have been many days of the Lord through history. The day of the Lord came against Babylon, against Egypt, against Edom. came against Israel in 722 when the Assyrians took them into captivity. came against Judah in 586 when the Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians swept in. The day of the Lord came upon Jerusalem in AD 70, the hands of the Romans. But it came against Rome as well when God poured out His judgment. For the persecution of his people. But there is a great day coming. There's a great day of the Lord coming upon all the earth. And in light of that, in light of the coming day of the Lord, Amos says, Amos 4 and verse 12, prepare to meet your God. Pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Prepare to meet your God. He's coming. Get ready to meet your God. As Peter said, it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. Are you prepared? Are you ready for the coming day of the Lord? So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity today to come together and to worship. We pray that what we've done has been pleasing to you. We pray that each of us has offered our worship to you in spirit and in truth and in a manner that would be pleasing to you. Father, we are reminded from our study tonight of the coming day of the Lord. We know for certain it's coming. Jesus said it was coming. Paul and Peter also said it's coming. We we know that that day is coming. We know, Father, that it's going to be a day of vengeance and judgment and destruction on those who are unprepared. But, Father, it's going to be a day of deliverance and salvation, a day of protection and refuge and vindication for those who turn to you and are faithful to you. And so, Father, help us to prepare ourselves for the coming day. Help us to seek You, to seek Your will. Help us to seek what You believe or what You have established to be right. And help us, Father, to humble ourselves, to submit to Your authority in our lives and to be the kind of people that You would have us to be. Our Father, one day we know we will stand before You in judgment and we will be held accountable for the things that we've done. We're thankful, Father, that Jesus has come into the world that he died on the cross to atone for our sins, and if our sins have been washed away, and if our sins have been forgiven through him, then those things will not help be held against us in that day, and we will have nothing to fear from the coming day of the Lord. We pray, Father, that each one of us will take the t- necessary steps to be ready for that day. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're subject to the